Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. In a prayer meeting a few weeks ago, the Holy Spirit put this passage on my heart as I began to read it. God began to download and reveal things to me that I really believe is significant for us to wrap our hearts around. And, and for me, I, I'm just so hungry for fresh encounters with the Holy Spirit. I hope you are. Because when leaders get hungry, when believers get hungry for the things of God, when we draw near to God, when we call out to Him and search for Him with all of our hearts, the Bible says we will find Him. He will answer us. This isn't a vain pursuit. This isn't an empty pursuit. And so we're going to read about an encounter that Jacob had with God. And it says in verse 9, God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Paddan Aram and blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel and God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I'll give to you. And I'll give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it. He poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel, the house of God. I want to speak to you today and stir your appetite, your hunger, your thirst for the subject of God encounters. I believe that God is leading us into a season of amazing God encounters. And we need to understand what are the ingredients of that encounter? What are the things that lead us into deeper encounters with the Holy Spirit? Because without an encounter, we're not going to see the fullness of God's purpose and intention become a manifest reality on the earth. God's always worked through men and women in history through their encounters with him. And one of those people in history was a guy by the name of William Branham. William Branham in the 20th century, at the peak of the healing revival in the mid-1900s, he was a uh, man of God that was used powerfully. His beginnings were very humble. He was born in a log cabin in abject poverty. He used to string together uh, you know, a, a jacket for a shirt with safety pins and and he had no money and he spent most of his life with no money, even at the peak of his ministry. In fact, when he got married, had a child, he lost his first wife and, and daughter in the Ohio River floods. And so there was much tragedy in his life. But in 1946, he had an encounter with God that profoundly transformed him and changed him. It was an angelic encounter 
where he was so marked by the Spirit of God that tangible manifestations like this light and halo that would appear when every minister in services, his left hand was uh, visibly marked. It would shake and it would vibrate and heat up under the anointing of the Spirit. And when he would lay hands upon people with that left hand, there would be instant healing. 35,000 healings were recorded in the first year alone after his angelic encounter. So accurate was his words of knowledge that journalists would come and try and test it. And so they would fake sicknesses to try and catch him out. And this story is well-renowned about three journalists that turned up to one of his healing meetings. As many as 25,000 people would attend and, and uh, they faked uh, this sickness of being blind, deaf and being lame. In fact, one of them literally was walked up onto the platform with a wheelchair and, and William Branham was so intimate with the Holy Spirit, sensitive to what was happening. He discerned something was wrong and he looked at all three of them and said, be it unto you according to your confession. And all three began to manifest the symptoms of the very confession of the thing that they were pretending to have in their body. And, uh, and so we see that there was a holy awe and fear about what he carried and, and he had a bit of a tumultuous ending to his life and to his ministry. And as many generals of the faith in their generation do, they, they often deviate of course and yet God in His grace sustained this healing ministry. And in fact, in 1965, he was killed in a car accident. And before he got killed in this car accident, uh, which his second wife had died in the car accident with him. His uh, son arrived at the car accident scene and when he saw his father immobilised and paralysed by the fractures in his body, his father was still conscious before he died. And William asked his son, would you place my hand upon your mother, upon my wife? She was dead. And the moment he placed his hand upon her, her pulse came back. She came back to life in that moment. Such was the faithfulness of God upon his life to the encounter that he had over nearly 20 years before. And the Bible and history is filled with examples where ordinary people encounter an extraordinary God and are used in supernatural and miraculous ways to impact and minister into people's lives in their generation. And as you and I and our appetite for the things of God is being stirred, we need to understand what are the type of encounters that God's Word gives us that we can learn from and study and discover as we explore our own encounters with God. In the Bible, there are basically five categories of various encounters. And whilst all of these overlap in some way, it's really helpful to understand what these different uh, encounters constitute so that we can be better informed and stir a hunger and appetite for our own encounter. These encounters, these stories in the Bible are not given to us for us to simply admire them like we're going to a spiritual museum to admire what happened in the past and what God did in the past. These are given to us as catalysts for our own encounters, for our own moves of God. You see, when you read the Bible, the Bible is the only book where the author shows up as you are reading it. And as you read it and as you meditate upon it, the Holy Spirit illuminates revelation truth from His Word to stir your faith and appetite for your own encounters. Yeah. 
And so one of those encounters is a visitation encounter. No one can dispute where Moses encounters God in the form of a burning bush. And the, the bush is not on fire in terms of being consumed, but it is on fire. It's in flames and a voice of God speaks out of the bush. Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. You would too. You'd get your sneakers off in a moment and you'd be there on your face, hungry for God to say whatever it is. It was that call that defined Moses' life that saw him become a deliverer of an entire nation. Then we have angelic encounters and Mary, the mother of Jesus, was visited by the angel Gabriel and and the angel Gabriel came and declared the prophetic word of the Lord that she would be with child, son of the most high God. We see angelic encounters all throughout the Bible. Then there are spiritual warfare encounters where there is a war in the spirit that manifests in the natural. And we see in the life of Elisha and his servant as the armies, the enemy's camp was surrounding the town and village where Elisha and his servant was. Elisha's servant comes in freaking out and he comes in and he's afraid and he's timid and he's anxious. He's overwhelmed and he's fearing for his life. You and I would too if we're only approaching life in the natural. But Elisha asked the Lord to open his eyes to see that there are more with them than there were those against them. And the eyes of his heart were opened to see chariots of fire and its horsemen and angelic hosts around that village. It was an encounter of a supernatural dimension. We not only see spiritual warfare, but we see intercession encounters. And we see where Daniel prays and fasts 21 days for God to come and intervene and and deliver God's people that were in exile and to return God's people back to their homeland. And the Bible says that an angel came after warring 21 days as Daniel prayed and fasted and was warring with the prince of Persia. There was a war that was going on in the heavenlies. And the angel said, from the day that you started praying, God heard your prayer. He dispatched me to come to you and I have now come to you. I wanna tell somebody today, just because you haven't seen it yet doesn't mean you won't. Delay is not denial. And God is coming to you and is saying, you might find yourself in a place of warfare right now. Don't give up, don't retreat, don't be passive, but continue to wage a good warfare. For the weapons of your warfare are not carnal. They are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. And as you intercede, God will lead you into a fresh encounter with His Holy Spirit. We read of dream encounters where both Joseph in the Old Testament and Joseph in the New Testament had a dream that marked their life, that set their lives on a trajectory for impact and influence. Even Joseph in the New Testament had to have a dream from God. He had to have an encounter to be faithful to the promise of God, to his betrothed. And so he would know, no, God's in this. And God wants to, uh, you to lead and parent and be a father to the Son of God, just as our our heavenly Father will be a Father to the Son of God. All of these encounters are markers. They're moments in the Bible and from them since history, in history, of what you and I can discover about our own encounters with God. And so here in this passage, we read of another encounter. Jacob has lived a life in his flesh And he has tried with all that he can in his own ability to achieve that which can only come through encounter. 
Many of us are trying to attain things, trying to break through into things in our own strength and we wonder why it's like pushing a truck up a hill. Does anyone ever feel like you're pushing a semi-trailer truck up a hill? And you're given everything. And, and, and I, the first part of my ministry was a little bit like that. You feel like you're pushing. Everything within you is, you know, birthing uh, a baby in the spirit. And not that I've ever gone through that, but I saw it and I went, there'll be none. I'll become a nun. And, and so, you know, you, you're seeing this birthing process in the spirit. And you feel like you're pushing. But then you come into an encounter with God where now you've got to hold on to the back of a Ferrari. And now God just takes you. And some of you have been feeling like you've been pushing a semi-trailer truck uphill. I'm telling you, it's not more effort that's required. It's not by might nor by power. It's by my spirit. You need an encounter. You need to go, go, go to the top of the mountain, Elijah, and you need to have another encounter with the spirit of God because what can't be accomplished in your strength can only be accomplished through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jacob is having an encounter. And the Bible says in verse 9 that God appeared to Jacob again. Everybody say again. Which means this was not his first encounter. And in that encounter, again, God blessed him. His first encounter was when he stepped foot in the promised land and while he was asleep, he had a dream, angels ascending, descending, he awoke and said, this is none other than the gate of heaven. This is a portal of God's presence and power. And he anointed and set up a pillar of stone and he said to God, I'm gonna give you tithes of everything that I have because of this encounter. Second encounter is where he wrestles with the angel of the Lord in the middle of the night and he's marked with a limp from that day. The third encounter is what we read here where God appears to him literally, visibly, manifests from the immaterial to the material and blesses him. What do God encounters do? They actually impart blessing to your life. You see... Jacob is growing in his anointing. He's growing in his relationship with God. Many believers have one encounter and stop there. When you got saved and God turned your life around, God did not intend for that to be the penultimate, the the ultimate experience of God in your life. Many believers are stuck in the doorway of salvation, of the mansion of relationship in the kingdom of heaven. And God says, there's a new room for a new encounter, a new experience, a new move of my spirit that I wanna do. Have you camped at your last encounter? Or are you actually got your backpack on and you're actually searching for a new encounter with God? Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that as we behold His face with an unveiled face, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. We grow from strength to strength. It's not strength to weakness. It's not strength to, you know, sort of just camping out at the halfway house up the mountain of your purpose and destiny. No, we grow from glory to glory. And how we grow is from encounter to encounter. There's stuff we do in between. There's our devotional lives. There's reading the Word. There's prayer meetings. There's discipleship. There's all sorts of things, the meat and potatoes of healthy uh, feeding on God's Word every day. But then there is an encounter. 
Don't settle for, how many of us know it's awesome, you know, to eat healthy food every meal and it's awesome, but isn't it great to just go out to a restaurant and just splurge a little bit? Just go with friends and just live it up a little bit. Have that cheap meal and and not because when it, when when it's when you're under the, when it's under the blood, there's no calories, you know. And so it's just it's just that that's that's a lying spirit. But I, I'm I'm trying to work that out. And so all I know is it's awesome. Day to day, you have your regular feeding. We come into God's house. We get fed the word. We're in life group. We're reading our Bible. But every now and then, you need an encounter. And it's not just something that will happen haphazardly to you. You need to posture yourself for it. I praise God that I I was baptised in the Holy Spirit at six years of age. Awesome. Uh, In Kalgoorlie Salvation Army, I went to the front at the altar, night service, man of God laid his hands upon my head. I was filled with the Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Awesome. My life was irrevocably changed from that day. But I want to tell you, I can't survive off an encounter that I had at six years of age. I need an again encounter. I need him to come again. I need another second second time encounter. I love what it says of Jonah. The Bible says that after he rebelled and got the initial call, God came a second time to Jonah. Aren't you glad God doesn't just come to you one time and give up? Oh, I tried once. It's like many believers. They try tithing one time, give up. They try prayer meeting one time, give up. They try witnessing one time, give up. God does not give up. He's persistent. He's relentless. He pursues you. He goes after you. He comes a second, third, fourth, fifth time. He came to Jacob again. When Jacob probably didn't even deserve it. And let's be honest, who does deserve it? All of us are only got what we got because of his grace. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, of whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. I'm telling you, when you understand the richness of God's grace, you can't help but respond in a spirit of faith. And as faith and grace meet together, encounter comes into your life. He's coming again to this house. He came 97 years ago. He's coming again. He came 30 years ago. He's coming again. He's not just coming again in revival. He's coming back for a pure and spotless bride. You're not to be afraid of end times. It's our finest hour. It's our glorious hour. Do you think God is just gonna let us putt-putt our way through to the finish line with a crutch sort of limping across the finish line? No, He's coming back for a glorious church. He said, my reign in those latter days will be glorious, that the mountain of the Lord will be the highest of all mountains, that all the people shall flow to it. He's coming back for a church that is in its peak, finest encounter. So we've got to get ready. And the role of leaders and preachers and pastors, apostles, prophets and teachers is to equip the church to be ready for what God is about to pour out across the earth. You need it. Our city needs it. Our nation needs it. The world needs it. We need an encounter with God. Every blessing that you have in your life is received by two things, God's sovereign grace and your faith. Ephesians 1 speaks to all the blessings, all the promises that are given to us because we are sons and daughters of God. And if ever you feel discouraged or down, or even you feel great about yourself, just go to Ephesians 1. And every time it says you, speaking to the church in Ephesus, what you've received, what you have, just replace it with your name because it's God's love letter to you. 
He's writing to you. He's speaking to you. And you'll be amazed and encouraged and built up with all the blessings that you have. There are some blessings you are given simply because you said yes to Jesus and He forgave you and now His Spirit lives in your heart. But there are blessings that will only come because you posture yourself to have an encounter with Him. In fact, there is a correlation between the favour of God and the blessing of God on people's lives and their encounters. They don't deserve it. You can't explain it. They're not perfect. It's not about perfection. When the Bible says be perfect as I am perfect, you're not talking about perfection as we understand it. Performance, he's talking about holiness, holistic sort of Christ-likeness. And so we see God using people, blessing people that frankly don't deserve it, but God does it because they've postured themselves for an encounter. We see this in the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary encounters the angel Gabriel and Gabriel says, you have found favour with the Lord. And so there's this favour on her life. As a result of this encounter, she goes to Elizabeth, pregnant with child, and Elizabeth says, blessed are you. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. So out of this encounter, favour and blessing was imparted to her life. There are some blessings you get because you're a son and daughter of God, but there are only some blessings and favour you get because you had an encounter. This encounter continues in Jacob's life. We read in verse 10 that God said to him, your name is Jacob. But no longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. What do God encounters do? They transform your identity. They transform you. They change you. You you used to be an old creation, dead in your sin. You encounter Jesus. You're now alive with Christ. You're a new creation made in the image and likeness of God in Christ. You now in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit can live in the fullness of God's purpose and intention and assignment for your life. God encounters transformers. And this happened in the life of Jacob. Jacob means cheater, supplanter, heel grabber. As I said earlier, he was marked by his efforts and striving in his flesh. Everything he had was a striving in his flesh. But God comes in this encounter and says, yep, that's who you used to be. But actually, you are Israel. Israel means he who contends with God, he who strives with God and wins. There is something about wrestling with God that changes you. It marks you, it impacts you. It actually brings you out of your old self and into the new nature of Jesus Christ. And all throughout the Bible, God renames people. He came to Abraham, which means exalted father. And he said, no longer shall you be known as that, but you are Abraham meaning you're now the father of many nations. Even before Abraham had seen the promise in the natural realm, he received the promise in the supernatural realm. And Abraham called those things that are not as if they already were. And so his name, his nature, his whole approach to life was changed in this encounter. We also see in uh, the life of Simon. Simon means reed. He becomes Peter, the rock. He had foot and mouth disease. He denied Christ. He was making all sorts of a mess. But on that day of Pentecost, the rock stood up and delivered a word as he stood on the foundation of the word and his life, his ministry under the anointing and unction of the spirit came into alignment with Jesus' call upon his life. 
We see Saul, the persecutor of the church. Now is Paul the apostle, church planter, moving in signs and wonders. I'm telling you, when you have an encounter with God, it transforms your identity. Even after Saul was anointed king of Israel by the prophet Samuel, we see that Saul, the Bible says, when he turned away, his heart became another man's. And the Bible says that when he got into the company of the prophets, he's not a prophet, but when your heart's changed by the Spirit and you're in that atmosphere of the manifest presence of God, they said, is even Saul among the prophets? There was a transformation of his heart. He went from just being a a shepherd boy going and tending his father's flock and donkeys to actually becoming a man of God that was anointed to lead God's people, the entire nation. I remember when I was sitting there in that lecture theatre in the police academy over 20 years ago and and the lecturer got possessed by the Spirit of God. Not a believer, but it's interesting who God uses and the means He uses to get your attention. If you're running away from God today, all the best. Do as best as you can. He will hunt you down. When He's got a call, when He's got an assignment on your life, you need to know God loves you more than you realise. He's for you, not against you. And He wants you to walk in the fullness of His plan and His purpose for your life. So He will hunt you down. People say, the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. You're kidding me? The Holy Spirit, yes, on one aspect, He's a gentleman. He won't force himself to you or on you. But I tell you, He'll give you compelling reasons to follow Him and do what you need to do. And so there I was and the lecturer looked at me after I gave a speech and said, what are you doing in the police force? You should be, be like a minister or something. And I'm like, no. And I'm like, I'm trying to run away from the call of God and the call of God's hunting me down. And I was so overcome by conviction and repentance. I go back to my dormitory room and, in, and weeping, gnashing of teeth, pouring my heart out to God, I began to encounter him. He began to show me visions and dreams and pictures of the future. I got in my car. I drove straight to my mentor's office in my mum and dad's church. He opened the door. I fell into his arms. He carried me, true story, into the front of the church at the altar. And as I lay there at the altar, something in me was transformed. The way I saw myself, my reluctance now turned to boldness and zeal. My fear turned to passion and courage. Something transforms you in an encounter. And the Spirit of God said to me from Revelation 3, Behold, I've set before you an open door that no person can shut. And from that day to this day, I've been conscious of the transforming, anointing presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because I had an encounter. I'm telling you, some of you need to put your self-help book down. You need to stop going to the seminars and spending thousands of dollars to go and attend the workshop. You need to get into a prayer closet and you need to have a fresh encounter. You need to have a fresh encounter. We go from glory to glory, from encounter to encounter. You see, it's in an encounter with God, you get a glimpse of how God sees you. Before that encounter, you see yourself a certain way. People say things about you. You come to believe those lies that people have spoken over you. And the enemy tries to bind people up with all sorts of lies and and chains of self-doubt and chains of all sorts of questioning. In fact, it's one of Satan's chief ultimate strategies. Nothing much has changed and particularly he questions what God has said in your life. Does anyone remember the first time the enemy, Satan, the serpent questioned? Did God really say in Genesis 3? 
Did God really say? And the enemy's deception in this day and age, in this last days will be, did God really call you? Did God really say that he would build his church? I mean, I think we need to change how this thing works because it just doesn't seem to be working. And so many believers, leaders and, 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 and followers of Jesus are disillusioned. They're confused because they're listening to did God really say? But I'm telling you, when you have an encounter with God, you come back to the original mandate, the original revelation, the original understanding of what it is that God has called you to do. And so for Gideon, as he's hiding out, in the wine press, beating out the wheat, something that environment was not designed for, the Spirit of God, the angel of the Lord is looking at him. When no one else is looking, the angel of the Lord is looking. His eyes run to and fro across the earth, looking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. He's looking, he's searching. When you think no one's looking, God is. He's wanting to see that you'll be the same person in private as you are in public, that you will carry a stewardship of the anointing of God's Spirit when you are, no one is around as much as when all the spotlights are on you. If you will take care of the shadows, God will take care of the spotlight. But you've got to get hungry in that place of, of, of encounter, in that secret place. And Gideon is there and he He's doing something he was not designed to do. And God comes to him and says, you're a mighty man of valour. Rise up. I've called you to be a deliverer and a judge. And he's like, how can I? My clan, that's what you and I do. God calls us. He does stuff. And we begin to question because we listen to the lies of the enemy. And we begin to question the call of God upon my life. But you need to know today, God sees something in you you don't see in yourself. And it's only as you come into an encounter that you begin to see as He sees, that you're filled with the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know the hope to which you are called. And this is why we steward and value prophecy and a prophetic culture in the life of the church because a healthy expression of prophecy actually catches a glimpse of your completed self in God and calls it into your present reality. And you be hearing someone prophesy over someone and go, I know all their issues, I know all their faults, and you get, and I get all judgy, and we're like, yeah, there's no way that's going to happen. Oh, no, but you're not God. You can't see into their future. You can't see what God sees. And so there you are, and you're on the prayer line, and someone gets a word, or you receive a word, and you're like, there's just no way. The pastor's smoking crack today. There's no way. He's had bad pizza last night. It's not going to happen. But I'm telling you, God does nothing unless He reveals reveals it to his servants, the prophets. And so when God prophesies, he's not looking at you according to just where you are or your sin or your prodigal nature. He's looking at you to where you're going. And he says, I see you maturing Christ. I see you generous. I see you witnessing. I see you moving in signs and wonders. And his prophetic word calls those things that are not as if they were. And his word compels you. It draws you into your future reality. That's what God encounters do. They transform your identity. Not only that, but they multiply your fruitfulness. The Bible says in verse 11 and 12, God said to him, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. Be fruitful and multiply a nation, a company of nations shall come from you. Kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you. 
and I will give the land to your offspring after you. How does God introduce himself to Jacob? I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. It was the same term, the same name that God introduced himself to Jacob's grandfather. When Abraham is 99 years old, he hasn't yet conceived of, received the promised son, the promised child. But God comes and he says in his weakened, mature age state, I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. Jeremiah the prophet declared, he's anything too hard for the Lord. Some of you are looking at your circumstances. You're looking at your life. You're looking at the promises of God that haven't become reality yet. And I'm telling you the same El Shaddai that met with Jacob, that met with Abraham, that met with Isaac is the same El Shaddai in this room today. It's the same El Shaddai every time you open up the Bible. It's the same El Shaddai when we sing praise and worship. It's the same God Almighty. And He is looking to show Himself strong on your behalf. Stop living as if God is El Shaddai of the past. He's El Shaddai. He wants to do something in your life today. But you've got to come into a glimpse and realise that your encounter isn't just for you. It's to multiply fruitfulness through you. And there was four promises in this encounter. Whenever you encounter God, He gives you promises gives you mandates. He gives you callings. You can't encounter God and just remain the same. Just like you can't get hit by a car or something and just go, oh, what was that? No one has revival and goes, oh, did something just happen? All right. When you have a revival, when you have an encounter with God, it marks you. Something changes and what was given to him. And see, so many of us, we look at the cost of following Jesus and and the Bible says count the cost and we need to. But we look at it and we go, oh, it's so costly. Oh, there's so much sacrifice. Listen, what you get in exchange can't compare. It it pales in comparison to the cost. You know, we're talking about tithing and what does God say about money a few weeks ago. And, you know, people say, what, you mean God's after my tithe? And I said, oh, no, God's after much more than that. A tithe? He's after your whole life. You say, well, that's a bit much. But yeah, but in comparison to what you receive... I'm like, take it all, take it all, take, take, take it all. You just take all of it. Why? Because to have you over everything else is the greatest possession for all eternity. What did King David David say? He said, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Remove not your spirit. Restore unto me. Because David understood something. You can take everything, but don't take your spirit. Don't take the greatest possession, the treasure. The chosen possession is Him. And so in this encounter, we see that God gives promises. Firstly, He gives the promise of fruitfulness. He takes Jacob back to the original mandate. Be fruitful and multiply. Why is He repeating it again? Well, because Adam stuffed up. The original mandate was always God's plan A. But because of the stuff up and because of the rebellion and we bought into, did God really say? God had to start again. And so Abraham represents now God's chosen people and God comes back to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and says, now pick up where the first Adam did not complete. 
Where he left off, pick up, be fruitful and multiply. When you have an encounter with God, things that have been dormant, lying, barrenness, all sorts of things in the spirit and sometimes in the natural, God brings you back to the original mandate. Then he says, nations and kings shall come from you. What's that? That's influence. You cannot encounter the God of heaven and earth and not grow in stature and favour with God and man. There's a growth in stature. There's a growth in influence. There's a growth in anointing. And it's not actually about you or I. It's about what God wants to do through you. Then he comes and he says, you're going to possess the promised land. What's that? It's God giving him the promise, not just for him and generations to come, but giving him the practical material things that he's going to need for him to fulfill his assignment. When you have an encounter with God, you don't just get a promise. You don't just encounter his spirit, but God releases practical provision for you to fulfill your assignment. Every single person in this room has a calling, a purpose, a destiny, an assignment and a gift from God to use. But you also need practical provision to fulfill your assignment. And God is coming to us in this hour and is saying, I want to give you, I want to equip you and empower you with what you need to fulfill your assignment. And then he came to Jacob and he said, this isn't just for you, but it's for generations to come. In other words, when you encounter God, it's not just for you and your generation. It's for the offspring. It's for the generations to come. You and I are the recipients. We are the offspring of Abraham. What God started in Abraham, you and I are actually recipients of that promise. And if we're going to pass on something to coming generations, if Jesus does not return in our day, then you and I need to live out of this place of encounter. And so God moves from the eternal to the external. He does something in you and then he multiplies it through you. I remember seeking God for four weeks, prayer sabbatical, Monday to Friday, nine till five. I was desperate. We're living in this small, confined Bible college dormitory and I'm sitting on the carpet after four weeks. Nothing seemed to be happening. And we're transitioning from uh, leading a church to itinerant. And I'm like, God, I'm crying out four weeks. And the Spirit of God says to me, I hear His voice. He appears in my mind's eye and in my heart. And He says, from this very room, from this main looking carpet in Mangan's Road, which means hairy road. Hairs were all over it. And so he said, from this very room, I'm going to open up the nations to you. And literally in a matter of weeks and months, 47 weekends a year, city after city, nation after nation, what was happening? God, my encounter with God was multiplying my influence and my fruitfulness to impact the world around me. You see, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. It's not just so you and I can shake, rattle and roll and just go through the motions and swing from the chandeliers, wave a flag and blow a shofar. It's so that you and I can make a difference in our generation and we can impact people's lives around us. Your encounter doesn't just impact you. It impacts people around about you. And then as God moves himself away from Jacob visibly, still with him spiritually, Jacob responds in worship. He responds in naming the very point and moment of his encounter. What do God encounters do? They permanently define our lives. When you start naming things, defining things, you're marked. 
be done to you according to what you declare, what you name. What you, names are important. He names it Bethel. He sets up a pillar of stone, something permanent. He pours oil anointing on it. He offers up a drink offering. Something within, within him was provoked to worship because he'd been permanently marked. He'd had a dream, the gate of heaven. He had a limp now at, with the wrestling with God. And now he has the blessing. Now he's got it. It didn't come through his own strength. It came through an encounter. It defined, it marked his life. What is the appropriate response to every fresh revelation from heaven? It's called fresh consecration. Every fresh encounter, every fresh revelation demands a fresh consecration, an offering of worship. And in the New Testament, the Bible tells us what that offering of worship is by the mercies of God, Romans 12 says. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. When you have an encounter with God and all of these blessings and things, the only appropriate response is to climb onto the altar and offer your entire life to Him. One of the problems why we don't see the breakthrough in our lives is we keep crawling off the altar sacrifice and of worship. And if there's anything I've learned and observed about revival is there can be no revival without a God encounter. Day Pentecost, there was an encounter. Signs, wonders, the sound. Revival's always connected to a sound. Azusa Street, there was an encounter. People couldn't stand in the presence of God. Skeptics, the leader of the Skeptic Society of America attended Azusa Street to try and mock what was happening and began to violently shake under the anointing. Fell out of his chair. You know it's anointed when you're sitting in a chair and you fall out. Fell out of his chair and got radically saved and began from that moment to move in signs and wonders in his ministry. You say, how do I get this encounter? Good question. Firstly, you've got to pray until something happens. Some of us read so many books on prayer. I'd encourage you to equip yourself, but at some point you're going to have to put the book down and start praying. So how do I encounter this holy, awesome presence? You worship while you wait. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. You worship while you wait. You pray until something happens. You worship while you wait. How else do you prepare yourself? You steward the measure of faith you already have. Romans 12 says to soberly assess. Think of yourself with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith you have. So everyone in this room, if you're a believer, you've been given a measure of faith. It's not, kingdom's not fair. Some people get different measures of faith. But we're all on an evil playing field when it comes to what do you do with the measure you have. And whether you grow in faith all comes back to your stewardship. So so don't worry about, Lord, I want a $100 burning bush encounter, but are you stewarding the 50 cent spark you have right now in your heart? Because as you steward that, it compounds. And then finally, how do you prepare yourself for a God encounter? You get under the spout where the glory comes out. That's an old saying that has very strong theological doctrinal roots. (laughs) What am I talking about? 
You receive the impartation through the laying on of hands. Many times I've received, I was there, I haven't told anyone really about this, except just family and Kai, which is basically family. And, and um, I, I'm there at the back of Nations Conference and I go up to Pastor Tim Hall and I literally fall at his feet weeping. I say, lay your hands upon my head. And he puts his hands upon my head. It's like electricity just going through my body. I got under the spout where the glory came out. You see, when, when you're not on the altar and you get around people that are going deeper and furthering God, you get insecure. And you retreat and you get a spirit of jealousy. And you start to judge and criticise. But when you're on the altar and you see someone on fire for God, you want to come near. You want to draw near. And it doesn't cause you to retreat. It causes you to come closer. Because like attracts like. Spirit speaks to spirit. And you're like, God, thank you for inspiring me to go deeper through this person's life. Oh God, would you impart something on their life onto me? Get under the spout where the glory comes out. What you honour, you receive. What you fail to honour and what you judge, you'll always be at a distance. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died and rose again, conquering sin, Satan and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life, and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.